Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earle. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. This is episode 77, and I am here with Dominique Parisien. Hi, Dominique. Hi, Amanda. It's really lovely to have you on the show. I think we've been meaning to do this for eons now, so I'm glad you're here. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. We had been planning to do it for some time, and then we had to rearrange some things a few times. We so did. It's really great to be here. Yeah, it's lovely to have you. So uh, we're going to, we will probably go off on many tangents, but so we're going to talk about uh, a lot about side effects may include strangers, your book with uh, McGill University Press, your poetry book. So the first thing I, you know, I, I, I often, um, I was before that I used to read like uh, just the people's bios for them, but I've changed now. So maybe, I don't know whether it's the loosening up of my sort of attitude through having gone through the pandemic or I don't know what, but so instead of me reading your bio, I'm asking you to tell me what you would like listeners to know about you. Anything. Sure. And we'll of course include your, your, your website in the show notes and, and links to the book as well. So. Well, thank you. Well, um, my name is Dominique Parisien. I'm a writer, editor, poet, I edit prose for Planetude magazine. I teach with Inkwell workshops. I've edited uh, several anthologies, um, usually speculative fiction, but I've also done work with uh, The Fold, the Festival of Layer Diversity. Um, I'm disabled, bisexual, French Canadian. I was raised near where you are uh, in Rockland in Eastern Ontario. And I now live in Hamilton on the uh, territories of the Erie, Neutral, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas. That's great. And we first we've we've known each other for some time now, actually, because we met yeah. we met way back when around I would say it could be two thousand eight, two thousand nine, something like that. But yeah. it was at the Cafe Nostalgica, which was the is the grad. Um, the grad pub at the University of Ottawa and uh, Sean uh, um, Moreland, Moreland. I don't know, Sean yeah, Moriarty Moreland. on Facebook, <laughs> Dr. Moriarty. No, but anyway, Sean was uh, was running a um, a series of, um, and that's where I first heard you. I first heard you read there, and I of course I was wrapped already. And then and then we I got a chance to publish you a, a short story in Experiment O, which was like the second issue. It was so long ago that I asked you again because I thought I hadn't really. It was that long ago that, and then you know we've I've published you in various oh, bywords. Of course, we've published you yeah. there. And then uh, the issue of guest that uh, Rob McLennan's Above Ground Press did that I edited the first one. You're in there. So and some of the and poems from the the book are in uh, those places too. So. Uh, yeah, so I feel like we've, you know, we, we, uh, um, we've had a, a friendship for a while. So it's quite lovely to have you on the show and talk about your work. Yeah, you've been there the whole way. It's, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think that may have actually been my very first in-person reading oh, that, wow. I ever, that I ever did. You were good. You were very oh, good. Oh, boy, I was a nervous wreck. But yeah, so you're very generous to say that because I was 
that was still very, very early for me. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I was like walking up to that stage and I could just feel like the entire floor felt, was, felt like it was moving under me because I was just terrified. Well, that was much the more comfortable now. They, well, they built, um, they, they tore that one down and they rebuilt that cafe. Yeah. So it's a much more, it's a different type of space now, although there's lots more room and uh, but the pub sort of that crowded pub sort of space was kind of an interesting I learned to be able to read that like because we I started at the Thursday night open mic uh, with um back in like 2000 and 2001 I guess that was run by Trevor Cheer and Christy McKay so years and years ago and and for the poet to come up and and read well it was always so hard because they had music and that was really Mm. things people were you know so what I did was I learned to uh First of all, I learned how to use a mic, which I, I still not very good at. But um, the other thing was I, I read uh, smut. I read erotic stuff. That's how I got people's attention. Of course, of <laughs> yeah. course. You did. That's no surprise. <laughs> there you go. But those were my early days. Of, but that that cafe has uh, really engendered a lot of great relationships. A lot of, yeah. a lot of musicians. And I've met a lot of people there, uh, through, you know, a lot of writers and musicians. So you're the product of one of those, one of those interactions in that cafe. So it's good. Uh, so, so we're talking, talking about, uh, we're going to talk about side effects may include strangers. What would you like to what would you like people to know about that book? Your book. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say it's my debut poetry collection, um, as you mentioned, with McGill Queen's University Press. It came out in the fall of 2020. Um, one thing that I think is not unique to myself, but uh, I'll say anyway, it was rather isolating having a debut during the pandemic. Uh, but I think that's a very isolated share, shared experience for a lot of debut writers during 2020. Um, in a strange way, it was also more communal than it might have been because my family lives several hours away and you know I was able to have family, friends and people who would never have been able to be in Toronto for the launch of it who were actually able to come online. So there was actually a, a strange sense of community That's just at, just in separation uh, on a physical level. So yeah, it was a peculiar experience for, for a debut, but um, yeah, despite that, you know, uh, it's a collection that deals largely with disability poetics mm-hmm. um, of which we don't have a great deal in Canada. So I'm tremendously pleased and proud to contribute to that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an amazing book. Later on, and toward the end of the episode, I, I'll read out my note of praise. But I, I love that I just had a chance to reread the book. I like to, on the day of the podcast, one of the reasons I like to record these in the afternoon is so that I can spend some time in the morning uh, rereading and just going through again. I just loved it. I mean, there's I doggered even more pages and wrote even more little notes on there. So you know, I'm I'm, I'm I, I I really enjoyed that. Um, That's so very the, kind. Oh well, it's. You know, I, I, I try. I, I, the book is is amazing, and of course, I, I loved your chapbook, "We Old Young Ones" by Frog Hollow Press, which came out in 2019 as well. Which some of that is in here as well. So mm-hmm. some poems from there. So that's good. I, I uh, this is a kind of an or very organized. The next question I have is, can you tell us about the cover? I always, I, I'm really fascinated by everyone's cover and the experience they've had with the designers and how they chose. So the cover is is a pill bottle with your name on it, and it and it has a title side effect 
effects may include strangers, which is quite lovely. And, and the date there, I see 2013 and 2014. So that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, so uh, this is a cover by David Drummond, who uh, does, I believe, all of the McGill Queen's University Press poetry covers. Uh, I don't think he does all of the other ones, but definitely all the poetry ones are by him. Um, he has Salamander Hill, Pre uh, Salamander Hill Design Studios, I think it's called. Neat time. Yeah, Sal Salamander Hill Design Studios. Yeah, he, uh, I, I was just absolutely thrilled with this. We had, um, we had a different title for the book initially, and I had some chats uh, with, uh, with my editor. Initially, it was called The Body Poetic. Okay. And, and we, you know, we talked it over and didn't feel quite confident that, uh, that it was exactly what I wanted to, to do with it. And we, and he asked, do you have any other titles? I said, well, the other title I've always imagined, which I thought was maybe a little too long with side effects may include strangers. And he immediately said that one, that one. So that did encapsulate more the themes of, of the collection for me. Um, I just had some concerns, you know, in terms of typeface and whatnot. And they just said, don't worry about it. We'll make it work. And uh, yeah, when it came down to the actual cover, just had some chats with them. We had some initial mock-ups for the, the previous title. And when it came down to side effects may include strangers, I had just described said I, I would really love a, a bottle with a shadow, something that was very predominant in that way. And he ran directly with it. And uh, we had a few chats about, you know, just, uh, it, it isn't just a date there. It's, it's actually a full serialized number, right, but we sure. just moved it uh, yeah. a little bit to the side. But um, yeah, I'm tremendously pleased with what he did. I think it encapsulates the, the themes of chronic illness and, yeah. and the weight of that on people um, quite, quite perfectly. So I was really thrilled when I saw it. No, it's, it's really great. And the way it's sort of on the edge of the, of the book too, rather yeah. than being in the center. Like I really, I like, and I like the big shadow and the color, the red color is like, it's, it's really, it's beautifully done. I mean, I, I'm fond of the design of uh, their, their books. I have, I have yeah. several of their, not that I can remember any titles at the moment, but I do there. So I see some on the shelf over there, but uh, the other thing too, I was going to say, you've got the, and the, the title poem side effects may include strangers. Did that poem come after you decided to, or did you, did you write that before the, um, the decision? Uh, that was written before. Okay. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that was written before. And it was one of the, it was one of the driving forces behind my themes, um, which is yeah, why when, yeah. once we started reevaluating a little bit in terms of the, the title, that one came very, very naturally. And immediately, yeah, when he asked, do you have another one? I said that because I knew that that should be the title because that was what I had in mind. At what stage, like at that point, um, you, did you already have all of the final poems or did you make any changes based on having that title or... No, so that was that was already designed. Uh, like we we knew we knew the structure of the book. We were yeah. still doing a few. We were still doing a few little changes, uh, cut a few poems, and one, moved one or two around. But we already knew that the that it was going to be in four sections. 
um, thematically linked um, with some interconnections in between areas, but having main themes driving the force for the, for the different sectional poems. Right. And so it was, yeah, was it uh, Shane who was your editor? Shane no, no. Uh, so Alan Hepburn was uh, the, the editor for that. Shane was my editor for, um, at Frog Hollow Press right, with, right. Uh, with the chapbook. Since you're, since you're, you yourself have been an editor for a long time, primarily of prose, how did you find having an editor working with you on your poems? What? Oh, I, I enjoy that. Honestly, I, I love the editorial process. Um, yeah, you know, I think, I think some of my best work comes when I'm being challenged by someone who's very, someone who's very critical, you know, uh, it isn't poetry, but I had uh, a long feature piece in Maisonneuve for, uh, for nonfiction. And, you know, that took seven drafts, I think. Um, my editor, uh, Maddie Haslam, was, you know, extremely thorough. And we, we redesigned an entire sections and, and refocused a couple of times. And I, I love the editorial process. I love the revision process. So for, for me, you know, I'm not precious uh, about my work in, in that way. I, I want someone to challenge me in my work. And I think that gets me, that gets my best writing. Yeah, I, lo I love, I, I th what I think is really neat about it is, is one of the things is the, is the way you have someone who's really engaged in your work, right? They're really looking closely. And that's just, for me, that's, that's a pleasure that someone is taking the time and just, I've had, I've had great, I, I can't say I've had um, any bad experiences having um, stuff edited, um, but I've been more edited in prose than in, in poetry. Like I've had a, for my erotic fiction, I just returned to writing erotica recently. I, I well, I wrote this story last year for this um, thing being put out by Kleist Press, and the editor of the of the press, uh, uh, Rachel Kramer Bustle, is a fantastic editor, and it's not easy to edit erotica either. So she was. Mm -hmm. It's been so many years since I've really written erotic fiction, and she kind of um, she was able to get me to come up with more more details and and sort of instead of the more sketchy stuff that I tend to do when I do my earlier drafts. But it's been so long since I've written it. But I mean, I, the story um, was basically the same. But she had really uh, given me like I, I actually came up with a really good idea because of her questions and her you know. So yeah, I love I love that kind of engagement, and I'm on both sides. Uh, I, I do ed editing. My main thing as an editor is to try and help the writer bring out what they in intend, like try and meet their intentions, right? Their mm -hmm. intent, not my own weird, like whatever weird styles I have, like I'm not trying to do that. Although I'll, I'll, re I'll, I'll say consider trying this weird thing that I do <laughs> just to see if it helps them. But I mean, no, I mean, it's, it's their work and I want them to feel ownership for it and everything and pride in it too. So yeah, you don't want to be too imposing, but just steer them in a direction that they want to go already, like basically. Yeah, as, as an editor, I, yeah. I ask a great deal of questions. Yeah, it's more asking you know, questions. With, without the expectation that, that a writer will always answer them or needs to, um, but just to, get, just to get a writer thinking exactly. about process and, and not to take for granted either images or, or scenes or, you know, character engagement, mainly with, with fiction usually or nonfiction. But uh, yeah, I, I find that I'm edited more heavily on, in, or not edited, but I'm, I'm questioned more with 
there's more back and forth with, uh, with fiction usually than there has been with my poetry. Um, I think also with, with Side Effects Me Include Strangers, a number of those poems had also been previously published. Yeah. Uh, and I was publishing some of them as I was working on the, the collection. They were going in the collection and I was still sending a few out. So some of them, uh, you know, at, uh, like David Lee at uh, this magazine, for example, uh, with arachnoid cysts, like, you know, that yeah. one, there was a version in the book. And by the time we got to doing the edits, I'd already been working on edits with, with David about the poem. So we just switched to that version. Yeah. And Alan was quite happy with, with those changes. So. Do you, when you, when you go through the book now, are there any, do you, would you make any changes to it? Do you think you, <laughs> I, this is not a pre uh, question that we organ, we have ahead of time. So. Yeah. Do you think he would change anything? I mean, I, think I, would, <laughs> I, I, will, I would always change something about something I've, I've written. And I, I think there is, I think there is something genuinely valuable in having it exist in, in a way that is unchangeable to you now. I, I think, you know, you can do a new ed edition of something, um, but I think that there are a lot of texts that are true in that moment sure. and yes. cease to be true the moment that they leave you. And as much as you can revise and, and alter and, you know, com completely change a, a text in the future, you know, ugh, I don't know. I think of, you know, some of the, some of the really like early Victorian writers or right. You know later like Richardson or something there was like 12 editions of Pamela and you know they oh. they're almost unrecognizable in 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 form and the and the techniques that he's using and is just I find that at a certain point it's just once it's once it's published I'm quite happy so you know that's a I, it sounds like a deflection but oh. it's really it's really not that and to, to me it's just I'm quite pleased with the way that it exists and anything that I would want to change is something I want to think about for another book. That makes and, sense. And to move on from that project. I have, for Kiki, I admit that um, I've got little changes in the book. And when I read, when I've read my, my, my book, that poetry book that came out with uh, Chaudière Books in 2014, I've actually, uh, when I read it, when I've read it aloud, I'll change those, I'll, cha I'll do the changes right. that I've made. So there are a few things that I would change now myself, but yeah, I'm, 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 I never really, I mean, Kiki, I love Kiki, but I, I, I do have a hard time liking things that I've published, see, see my work when I, it's in print, it doesn't, sometimes I, it doesn't feel right to me somehow, but I mean, no, that one, I, I love, I love that in, in many ways, but uh, moving that's on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, the next thing I want to talk about, I'm, I, I feel like I've, I've been kind of um, very ordered here. Well, you know, because I, 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 want, I want to talk about, I love knowing about the epigraphs and the choice of them and how they're done and things like that. So you have three in yours, which is already interesting. You, you couldn't just have one. You had to have three. <laughs> but, uh, well, now, now let's, let's read them. So what is a poem? It, what is a poem is inside of your body by B.P. Nichol. And then, so sorry you understand this by Roxana Bennett. And then, I love the art of us. To one another, we are gallery, galleries of solidarity. 
Imani Barbarin. So, I mean, those are three great quotes and they do kind of embody the, the text, the, the tone and things to do with it. How did, are you someone who, were you, are you a quote collector or do you, did you, how did you come up with these for your epigraph? Yeah. Why three? <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you know what, you, I, I answered your question earlier about, is there any regrets you have in it? I'm like, you know what, I do have one probably, and it would be that there should have been four. What's because the fourth there, one? Because there are four sections, but I, I do, I do also feel you know I I, I love discontinuity between yeah. between things. I I love structure, but also deliberate 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 upsetting of structure. I would love to say that this was a perfectly deliberate choice, <laughs> um, but it it's just that those felt like the appropriate ones for for the collection. Initially, uh, every section every section of the book actually opened with a with a quote right and uh, and we decided against that um so mary oliver yeah mary oliver yeah it was a mary oliver quote for for degeneration for the last one hey and uh you know in some ways i do i do regret a little bit uh that that one having been taken out but um was it from while was it I, it may not have been, but I mean, my favorite Mary Oliver poem is like a lot of people, Wild Geese. I love that poem. I don't know if it was from there, but. Uh, no, I, the problem is that right now I haven't thought of it in a little while and I wasn't prepared for that one. So I'd have to, I'd have to, you know, look at, look at that. But um, I do, I love quotes, but I'm not necessarily someone who collects them deliberately. Okay. Uh, sometimes I, I definitely before I recently moved and before moving, I did have a bunch of post-its with, with quotations that were a turn of phrase that I liked or something that encapsulated what I wanted to do thematically. And I wanted to have that sort of visual mind. Unfortunately, when I moved, I, I completely misplaced my collection of post-its and they're gone. Oh, and I'll, happens. <laughs> you know, we'll just, just have to restart. But um yeah, the those particular ones, like Roxana Bennett, you know, very yeah. very kindly like provided a blurb for the collection. And Roxana is a very dear friend who we met at um, a reading with the uh, Abel Hamilton Poetry Collective, right. which is now the Ontario Disabled Neurodivergent and Mad poetry collective there's I'm, I'm missing something in there it's a long does it have a, like an acronym that we know is... no there's a, there's no handy acronym for it but but we met there and it, it was a, an extremely serendipitous meeting because we had our work was in conversation without knowing each other yeah and and from that point on we started corresponding and um, like her, her new collection has uh, the untranslatable I has several poems that refer me and that di directly engage with conversations that we've had some of uh, some of my nonfiction. I have a piece coming out in arc that's oh, great. Uh, that there's a whole section it's um, it's a piece about disability and poetics uh, disability and sex and poetry 
Well, great. I look forward to reading that. I'll have to renew my subscription to ARC. I didn't have the chance. To, I usually enter the Poem of the Year contest and then I just get them. Yeah. For some reason this year, I, my timing was off and I didn't, I didn't do it. So now I don't have copies. I missed the last one, Polyverse, which sounded wonderful. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm now kicking myself. Like, why don't I have this? And the essays are often my favorite part of the magazine, actually. So I really, I love essays that to do with uh, poetry, especially. So that's cool. Um, yeah, I love them too. Yeah. And the, I guess, you know, the, the other ones, it's just, they, they felt very appropriate to me. Im, Imani Barberin is, um, that's from a piece that I edited with, the, uh, that I had in the fold. And it's just so I, I was looking at it a lot while working on uh, wor working on the program, and it's just that quote kept coming to my mind, and and it just felt like one of those things that I I wanted a variety of voices, and there's you know there's a lot of plurality in in the collection, so it it felt like one of those that encapsulated that theme, and yeah, BP Nickel, it's it's part of poem, P-O-M-E, poem, um, which is more of an incantation. And there, there is a lot of ritualistic elements to the collection. So that was one yeah. of those that I, I knew from the start that I wanted BP Nickel in there. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, I, 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 I'm a quote collector. I, I have a label maker and what oh, I yeah. and has like an address book. And I use my address book also to put quotes in there. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll often like, I'll take a, like a, a, I'll print a, a label of, a, of a, a quote and I'll put it in various places around. Like I'll even stick it in a bathroom or something like that. So I, I love that. And I'll put it on people's letters. And so uh, I, I've made whole books of like these these labels of of my these favorite quotes and things and so yeah I'm I'm really I don't know I find I really do like I've made visual poems from quotes yeah okay. what's the last quote you captured oh I don't do you know, know? like just by it might have been from um, it it was probably from Bahar Orang's book A Touch of uh, what is that book A Touch of Beauty you know I can't I I have it in my living room I, yeah. I or it. in my bedroom I have to read it. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. And I there were three quotes um, about beauty, about uh, color. I, I They're just wonderful. And yeah, I so I have that. that those were probably the last ones I've got. I've got some, uh, um, I can't even, the thing is I have a bad memory, so I can't remember things. I have to like, I have. that's why I have to have places where I have things written down so I can. Right. I've got two on my filing cabinet in the living room. I could go over there by like you know various people so but they're over there something to, to do with hunter s thompson and, and filigree and things i don't remember anymore but anyway I, I can look them up if i need to and uh, i can use them for epigraphs as well so in theory i i've also the other thing i've done is i've made up quotes as well why i've made oh, up that's great. yeah and i've done that for poems and i've done that for yeah sometimes i'll make up um character like fake person and and uh, use that as the as the quote the quoter and that's funny. funny. A, a, a book, this is going to be like an absolute tangent, but there's a book I love called A Stranger in Alandria by Sophia Samatar. Ooh. And it's basically, it's Proust by way of fantasy. And it's entirely a book where a person who comes from a, an oral culture learns about the written word and starts engaging with it. And throughout it, um, Sophie is in, she, she teaches in the U.S. Um, literature. She's an extremely accomplished poet in addition to being like, an extremely luscious prose writer. And throughout the entire thing, um, she has this character discovering different fictional poets. Ooh. 
And, you know, like people frequently in their, in their imaginary books, like they'll have like, you know, oh, there's the one writer in that world or something. Yeah. And she has like 20 different poets with distinct voices wow. and the characters finding these things and learning about it. And you start to recognize different voices, uh, you know, and that's, that's like, you know, we, we talk about a multiplicity of voices, like that's yeah. an extremely accomplished That'd technique. Challenging. So yeah, it's beautiful. It's. It's such a gorgeous book. Well, now I want to read that. So we should just have you on giving recommendations for books, especially in the <laughs> fantasy um, speculative uh, range as well. That that would be good. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> I'm already. We're, we're not only on question five. I'm already inviting you back. This is this is <laughs> well. <laughs> so um, I work typically mostly in the long poem and poem series. So I don't have mm -hmm. the same decision-making process when it comes to putting together a collection. So I'm always interested in, in the process of choosing individual poems for a collection. So what was it like for you and how did you, do, how did you decide which poems to include and which not to, more, more importantly, which not to, which got left on the, on the, well, the next book floor, I guess, not the cutting room floor, but. <laughs> I, I would say that, uh, you know, I've, I have had, certain thematic interests with my writing, whether it was nonfiction, poetry or fiction um, for quite some time. And a lot of it had to do with the, with the body and memory specifically. And intersections of that, you know, body in terms of sexuality or disability or queerness. And when it came to this, I had been looking at my work and when I decided that I, I always knew that I wanted to do a collection and that I was writing vaguely with that in mind. And when, it, when I started actually putting my pieces together, I noticed, I started noticing that there were, there was sometimes either an overuse of, you know, the singular or, or the plural. And I started trying to balance some of those and write in slightly different modes um, and, and also have different types of focus because I knew that I didn't want to just write, you know, slapdash and kind of just throw everything together. I wanted to start having, even though I was publishing the pieces individually, I, I wanted to have a sense of cohesion across yeah. the, the project. There's definitely so, there. <laughs> well, I thank you. I, yeah. I hope so. There is um, cohesion there. I mean, they are related. They're not unrelated. Like some people have collections where the the, the themes are very loosely held together. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a different style of work. But yours, you definitely have specific themes that you uh, that are yeah, in, in the work. Yeah, and then you know there were some like there were some some more overtly fantastical ones that, you know, that I'd been publishing in more genre markets that I have some fantastical ones here, but they're always grounded in body. And some of the other ones, even though there were some, some of those elements, they, they thematically, they didn't feel in, in tone and voice. They, they felt too separate. So those ones were, you know, very, very easy to cut. And then there were some other poems that occasionally I've published a few poems that I had, you know, was talking about uh, revising or, or not revising, you know, certain pieces. And I definitely had some poems that were getting at the same thing, but from a different angle. And it's just, I didn't want to, to just rewrite one. It existed as its own thing. And then I wrote a completely different version of it. And that one ended up in the collection in a way that felt coherent with the other pieces. Yeah. 
So there were there were quite a few that came up in that way. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I was thinking about how a, a poem can be kind of like it goes through these stages, and I, it made me think of you know cocoons and caterpillars and cater yeah. not caterpillars caterpillars and butterflies. And there is a kind of a there is a time when a something is kind of it's still in an early stage, and if you kind of push it too much, it kind of it can wreck it, right? So it's not ready quite for like that happens to me. I've made the mistake sometimes of reading something that maybe is a little bit too early because I wanted to read. I always like to read new work but then I then be, I didn't like how it came out and so I have like I, I sort of abandoned it because of that you know so yeah right it can it's a fragile it, it, there's a state where it's quite fragile and then there's yeah, a state it, where it can you can poke at it and you can really you can twist it and distort it and it still stays what it's there aim is is still there right that's tone and stuff so I don't know it's funny and you mean specifically like doing like actual readings with with work in progress? That's what yeah, you mean I, I, yeah, I'm someone who reads like I well, it's been I mean I've done a few readings uh, through Zoom now, but um, yeah, if I if I sometimes if I if I do it too early in my and then it's I don't like like I'm I'm sensitive to the reactions it gets, you know, I'm like oh no. Right no, that's not what I meant at all. Oh no, that's ruined. You know, so it's, I'm too, I myself am too fragile. Maybe the poem is, it's not so much the poem as me who is the fragile one. So I'm still at the cocoon phase with that work. So it's too delicate to be, to be, you know, it needs more editing before it's shared with others. It needs to be a little hardier. Yeah. <laughs> I find, I find that very interesting because I know, you know, there's quite a few people I know who, who like performing a, a piece will inform their writing of it and then and then they'll perform it multiple times and and I, I find at least with my nonfiction it's a little different but with my because I, I like to read that aloud to yeah. the people around me and in particular you know the especially get input if they feature in it in some way and it's it's much more adaptive to me in that way but poetry um, is a little more in the way that, that you were presenting it, where it becomes a little more fixed for me in, in, in my mind and in my reading of it. I hear my own voice mm -hmm. having read it, and then I find it difficult reading that aloud otherwise. And it, 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 it has a certain fixity to it, you know, a certain solidity that I find more difficult to alter after, after it's been performed in that public function and I think that's maybe Interesting. just you know something having to do with brains more more than the poetry um, but yeah it's it's a little strange especially because you know the poetry it can be such a performative thing and, and such yeah. an adaptive thing and it doesn't always feel adaptive in that way to me yeah no I've, I've had to change um I mean, sometimes there are versions that I've written, although usually what, this is, I, I read everything aloud, whatever I write, I've read mm -hmm. all these questions aloud too, just so you, you know, the ones that I've yeah. read, I've read all of those. I read every, and I read, I've read some of your poems aloud actually when I'm reading. I, I, I like to hear it out loud and uh, whatever, it, fiction too, whatever I write. And um, I'll often, if, I, if I've read it out loud to an audience, I'll go back and make the changes like to the, to the, printed the, the page I usually do revise based on reading aloud like to myself to others Charles of course is my first reader for everything so he gets to hear things too many times but uh, you know but uh, yeah so for me the reading aloud is, is part of my revision process as well but sometimes mm -hmm. there's sometimes when I bring something to an audience 
I don't know. It's like I'm protective of that thing. And if it, if it doesn't somehow, if it, I, I can be completely disappointed by it. I had a reading I read in Toronto at, um, oh, uh, what's that um, great um, leather place? Uh, oh, I can't remember now. Anyway, I read some erotica. Um, uh, this is a number of years ago now, like 2015 or something. And I didn't feel the reading went very well at all. People were lovely about it, but um, afterwards, I, I privately with uh, with my um, with my partner at the time, um, I, I just burst into tears. Oh, just... yeah. I, I think for for me, I think it's a sense of intimacy. Yeah. Right. Is that like I reading it intimately to a few people is something yeah. I'm extremely comfortable with, um, but I, I feel like. If something, you know, I do like reading it aloud in, in those ways, uh, in a more private way. Yeah. Um, but I'm much more hesitant to bring something for, I, I think it's also maybe because I didn't do a lot of open mics. Okay. So like I, I did, you know, I think maybe aside from the, I think maybe aside from the one that, that where we met, uh, I, I think I've maybe done one more really open mic yep that's it i i basically just started you know doing readings when people invited me and otherwise i was reading very privately wow. to people i cared about so that that wasn't a muscle that i got to, to flex and hone my work in that in that public way um mm -hmm. it was always a, a much more intimate or if it was a writing group you know it was a it was just with my writing group it wasn't to a live audience. So, so performance in that way is something that I have to steal myself for in, in very specific ways. I've, I've done a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of open mics. I really like tons of open mics and um, yeah, I, I've cut my, I, I do like, I love, I'm very nervous about it, but I love being in front of an audience. I really do. Like <laughs> I wouldn't think I would, but no, I, I told, I'm a like, I adore being in front of an audience. It's, uh, if we could just have readings at like uh, six o'clock in the morning by these days, I would be fine. I'd be able to do it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, and okay, so to talk more about the book, and, and uh, I was I, I was very uh, fascinated by the metaphors that you use to describe and articulate what pain is like in the book. And you have an essay, "My Body Exists in Another Language," which is an imaginary safe house, which is an anthology published by Fog Hollow Press, and also on the Hamilton Arts and Letters uh, site. Uh, you write, with this manuscript, I was looking at ways poetry can be used to interrogate narratives around bodies to reshape the language of pain. And in, in, in the book, in To a Chronically Pained Body, you write, pain made metaphor is pain made real, and many will make of you a narrative. Can you talk about reshaping the language of pain, this resistance to being made into a narrative, and how the book responds to that? And maybe how the metaphors move away from the cliches of pain narratives in society as well? Yeah, so I, I was on a, I was doing a reading and panel discussion recently with um, Moira McDowell and Adam Saul. Uh, that was how a poem moves in the hospital. Mm. And that's great. And a lot of my work um, is meant to disrupt the typical power dynamics between patient and practitioner or uh, between the the world and the ill and the person who is ill or disabled, usually uh, 
those dynamics are extremely dominated by me by imposed meaning making from either the practitioner or you know a person on the street or it, it there's very little self-expression and self-determination about how you experience this and what it means to you someone will ask you what is this sensation is it a burning is it you know yes. is it a stabbing um, zero to five, on the scale of zero to 10, right? Or whatever, exactly. Right? Frowny so, face to smiley face, right? <laughs> exactly. So the, the opening poem in, in yeah. that collection, uh, I jokingly, when, when I do readings, I, I jokingly say, you know, this is my fuck your, your pain scales poem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there is so much imposed on you as a disabled, ill person that for me... Um, especially as a, especially as a, I was rather young when I became disabled and, or, or my disability really manifested in terms of chronic daily pain and self-expression was completely discouraged. Um, you, you had to parrot the language that was provided for you and when I would try to articulate it within my own frame of experience, um, it was either misunderstood or ignored. And one of the things with my artistic practice um, is foregrounding self-definition, um, resistance, and also allowing for the creation of self-meaning. Mm. So, Articulating those, you know, um, I just mentioned, you know, pain is represented so frequently through violence. And I experience chronic pain on a daily basis. And I was tremendously tired of being told that I'm at war with myself. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, you know, that my body is at war with me. I want, to, I, it's not that I want, but I must live with this body and with this pain. And if it's presented in a constantly antagonistic way, it is very difficult to self-identify and to inhabit your body if it is an enemy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I also refuse the, the framework of the, the tragic and the horrific, right? Yeah. Um, for, for me, you know, the poets, uh, like, Poets can write you know, about anything from uh, tomatoes to anal sex, and you're allowed to make it beautiful, right? That's right. And you are allowed to engage with it creatively, but that is discouraged around struggle or around pain. And I don't mean like the beautification of pain in, yeah. in making it, you, you know, in trivializing it or you know, sadomasochism or masochism are, those are a completely different thing. Yeah. What I wanted here is that I wanted to say it, I am allowed to express these things in the language that I want and others can do this as well. And that's also just a part of narrative of the theories of narrative medicine is meaning making um, for the, the patient is what does, what does the illness, how do you relate to it? What does it mean to you? How do you want to express it? 
Yeah. Um, and that's a more, it's a more recent theory, you know, it's from the 1990s and, and there is increasingly a lot of that. It also demands more of physicians. So, you know, there are, there are limitations to those sort of things, but we're not here. We're not talking about, you know, I'm not going up to the doctor and telling them I want my pain expressed in this way. We're talking about artistic practice and we're talking about this is just as valuable a subject matter as like I said, roses or, or sex or a mountain or anything in that way uh, is just as valid a subject matter. And you can use whatever imagery and whatever things relate to your experience. That's, that's, that's great. I love that. I, I have to say from tomatoes to anal sex could be a, 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 a new collection. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I have, um, um, I have a lot more we could talk about about pain, but maybe we should move on because there's just so many other things to talk about. I, 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 I found it, I find it fascinating what you're saying too. Um, so another, a different thing is many of your poems are short and stanza based, but you have two prose poems. Can we call this an obad and concussion, both in the metamorphosis section with either no or minimal punctuation. They are in the present tense and I would say they're more stream of consciousness and uh, nature than the others. What made you decide to include them and perhaps a bit of history about their composition since they feel somewhat like a departure from the others? Although there's symmetry because there's two of them, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely a departure there. Um, it's, that one is a very deliberate departure because that section is called metamorphosis. And these were poems that I wanted in there because if I am engaging with, you know, with transformation, um, I think it's particularly important that the altered structure of those poems exemplify the, the concept of metamorphosis and change and transformation. So they, even though they are departures on a structural level, yeah. um, they, they very much inhabit that yeah. category in, in the collection. Um, I will say that what I'm writing at the moment is almost exclusively in that format. Mm. Um, it's those were, the structure of those felt quite freeing to me. Yeah. And I think my, my brain also functions a little bit more like I work a lot with prose and, and, and nonfiction yeah. especially and having the, the the block text format and the the ability to be a little more stream of consciousness in some in some strange ways to, to me in the way that my brain works feels less imposed than line breaks or the traditional formats that you would have with, uh, with other poetry. I'm, I'm not someone who likes to write a sonnet. I'm not someone who <laughs> uses a whole lot of traditional forms. They just, they, they, they do not appeal to the ways that I want to use language. Hmm. Um, but prose poetry, I, I found myself being hugely drawn to, to those forms as I was completing this, this collection. And I didn't want them to just be in, in the next book because I knew they belonged here with these themes and with these formats. 
and I, yeah, I thought they were just necessary to a, to an, a section dealing with metamorphosis. Yeah, no, they work. And um, it's a little bit of a teaser for your next one. So that <laughs> you are, are you someone who have you um, read? Um, do you are you reading prose poems or, or do you avoid reading stuff when you're like some people won't read poetry if they're working on poems? I don't know how that works because I can't. My everything's all blended for me. But um, do you are you reading or have you read any prose poems that? Uh, Sort of, inf- sort of inspired you to, you, or you just decided to do it without your 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 body or your brain decided to do this. No, like I mean, you know, <laughs> someone like um, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Asa Berg um, has uh, a lot of really interesting prose poetry where she writes from a very one of the reasons that she uses that format is because she talks about um, rejecting patriarchal structures mm-hmm. and wanting to, to bring a subversive feminist approach to narrative and, and to direction. Um, I don't think I'm quite that subversive in terms of, in terms of the flow of my pieces, um, but she also writes a lot uh, from the body and from very a very disruptive place and often a very transgressive place. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm quite interested in that. Uh, I I just like to pick up you know, so sort of um, anything in terms of if I if I find a prose poem somewhere I'll I'll just kind of you know rip it out of a magazine or something yeah, and just keep a pile of them. Uh, I can't say that I'm I. I my poetry has taken a slight step to the side right now because I'm working quite heavily in long form nonfiction at the moment. Right. What so, you, such as, what do you, do you have a current work that you want to talk about or is it not? Uh, yeah. So it's my, my next book is, uh, is a memoir. Um, oh, great. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a memoir around uh, chronic chronic illness and the and people's magical thinking around it uh, I've had you know previous uh, there are some pieces in here that engage a little bit with it you know the Eganville healer for example uh, um, like I you know I was brought to a faith healer younger I've had uh, I've had an imposed exorcism when I was younger people constantly try to come up with uh, with either scientific or magical approaches to heal others with little or no awareness of how how their bodies work and so the that's the next project and it's going to be probably the next two years so i do come up with you know the occasional poem i'll read a few i'll read a few issues of you know arc or prism or something and read something that jolts my brain and makes me think, okay, I have to write another prose poem <laughs> and I'll tinker with that a little bit and then I'll just get back to the nonfiction. So I'm not working in a very deliberate way at the moment. Um, I am with a collection in mind, but I'm no, not working it on a sustained level at the moment. Well, that sounds really interesting. I mean, I, I read your um, your your piece in the fiddlehead about the exorcism and the, with the fiddlehead. Yes. I'm looking at the, yeah, yeah. I'm looking, it's on my table. So I'm, yeah, that was really, and of course in the, 
the the one um, in the book too, uh, the uh, poem. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> it's always hard to segue like to the next question. Wanna, like in a way, I still want to like think about this more, but then we'll go on with with this next thing I've written here. So you use we fairly often in the book. Uh, the speaker of the poem includes himself. And everyone is experiencing pain in uh, with apologies to those with congenital analgesia. You write about this inclusion, comparing many people's experiences with chronic conditions. And after deciding to die by suicide, you should be thinking uh, there's long. The title is longer than that, but, but I think but that's <laughs> the part that's in the table of contents. You write, are you writing using you through empathy or cowardice? When you, you do use I, you use it more than I say. I say here in the final section of the book, but you actually use the I more more than, and that wasn't the final section. I wrote metamorphosis, but it was actually degeneration. So you use it, but it is a it is rarer than than the other than the we and the you. So it becomes quite powerful. So after convulsing in public, which is like my favorite poem in the in the and, and birthday wish, uh, did you have diff any difficulties figuring out the voice of the poems? Um, did you revise? I think you already mentioned that you did maybe revise some some of the voices, uh, or is, was it just a natural way for you to speak? Yeah, I'd I'd say that it was fairly natural. Um, in terms of voice, most of the time I don't really know the voice for a piece until I I experiment with a couple of different versions of it. Yeah. Um, you know. After, after convulsing in public, for example, that one was directly, you know, that's, that's a very autobiographical poem. Sure. Um, so there, there are ones that if they, if they relate very specifically to, to, exp to my experience, um, they do lean in a certain way, but I'm just looking right now for an example, um, you know. Yeah, you know, I think of uh, a, a poem like Writing After Targeted Assault was mm. written um, after, after I was assaulted by, my partner and I were assaulted by two armed men who had threatened me with a knife and a gun. And, you know, that poem doesn't even use um, any kind of identifying markers in, in that way because it needed the distance to be able to, for me to be able to engage with it artistically. Uh, but there are other poems that will gravitate between certain, between certain voices and it will take me a little while to actually figure out whether I want to be talking from a community perspective or from a personal perspective. And sometimes that can, that can change over the course of this, over the course of the same piece, especially when I'm trying to make any kind of pronouncements, but you know, those always come from whether I'm speaking in, in the plural or not, they always come from my, from my unique perspective and there is no way for me to account for everyone's. So. No, it, but think, it's funny because I know that it's one of the things that uh, I've sometimes found myself within like, uh, even like within a long poem, I find myself switching um, pronouns quite a lot within that. Right. Like, and and it's, it's hard sometimes because I, but I think that's the way people speak too. Like they, a lot of times you'll, you'll say, you know, we'll, when we're talking, we'll say, well, you know, you do this and you do, it, it, it's just natural to kind of switch 
in that way, I think too. So it's not, I don't think it's a, I, I, you know, I don't think consistency is necessarily what you need, you know, it it doesn't have to be. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Many of the other poems are written as statements. So X is Y. There's no uncertainty here except in the maybe of the it is not this, it is this series. Well, I, th- I think there's a little bit more than that. But anyway, that runs through the book. I think of how the literary canon is composed of the certain voices of straight, white, and able-bodied colonialist men. I really hammered that one down. The, <laughs> the certainty here feels like a defiance of the status quo for whom illness and queerness is marginalized and not taken into account. So a poem like Inside Story, for example, debunks the absolute of ableism what can you say about the certainty of these poems and the poems that seem to question that certainty yeah it's an essay question <laughs> yeah no that is an essay question um <laughs> to, to me that relates back to some of the conversations we were having earlier you know um in in, in some of these cases uh, certainty here is an act of resistance yeah. Um, because meaning is, is frequently imposed by others in terms of illness, chronic illness, disability, uh, or, you know, queerness, other marginalizations, um, marginalized folk constantly have to fight to have their perspective and experience recognized. And even if you speak with certainty about these things, they're, they're, they are questioned anyway. And certainty within these contexts, to me, for this particular collection, has a lot to do with audience. Yeah. Is that I want people who are not ill reading these to recognize the truth of these things, but I also want other folks who are disabled, chronically ill, marginalized, queer, to see certainty in that, and especially if it doesn't reflect their own experience, that, that they have a, a reaction. I'm hoping that it leads to a reaction of, well, that isn't my experience, and that engenders its work in response to that. You know, and I think like a certain level of certainty for me is very much with self-awareness that I'm extremely uncertain about my certainty. And I think that that's important. And I think that throughout, I will make various confident assertions and then question them at other points in in the collection. And I think that that sort of back and forth um, is conducive to discussion and, and, Creating, creating doubt in, peop- in people about whether the ways that they engage with it, they have certainty about it or they don't, and to question themselves. If I'm questioning myself with it, uh, my hope is that others do the same, either you know, about the ways that they engage with these subjects or uh, within themselves. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, the use of the imperative is is there too a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's, I no, I thought, I think it made the collection very powerful that, that it was written that way. And I, I appreciated it. So that was good. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about, about this book at this point? 
I would say honestly, just thank you for also having published, uh, you know, a, a few of the poems in here. Um, it's it's nice to have this discussion yeah. with you about it because you know you can you can see that there are ones that continue and that are in conversation with some of the other things that I was yeah, so many. writing. Um, I'm I would say you know I would actually ask something of you right now because I know that you have also dealt you know with with various things having to do with illness and and yeah. struggles with the body and I would be curious do you have plans to keep like writing about these subjects and are are there any things that like that you haven't written yet mm. in those I that you are thinking of I have um, a manuscript a book length um, manuscript that deals with um, my health crisis and uh, uh, the body, women's bodies as mm -hmm. monstrous and all that sort of thing that um, I'm, I'm still, it's still under, like it's been finished for a long time and I've, I've revised it, but it's basically to deal with all of those issues. There's actually two volumes, the first one, which is being still shopped around and the second one. And uh, so that one is, um, that one is still kind of in progress. I continue to work through every time I have, um, I have to go to the hospital with uh, ah, this, you know, these, I get these terrible bowel obstructions because I don't have a colon. So every time I have that, and it's happened fairly often, in fact, recently, just at the end of March, I had to go in for three days and, did, and that, that experience of pain, I question it all the time. Actually, one of the reasons why I really appreciated reading this is because of the way you interrogate pain in the book. You deal, like you kind of question. And I have all kinds of questions surrounding pain, like, and the idea of like not wanting to feel like my body is my enemy. And like when I'm going through it, it's just a, it's a feeling of being totally closed into myself. Like it's really, it's a claustrophobic experience. And yeah, I keep trying to figure out not during obviously, but afterwards before like, a, how do I deal with this? What it's going to happen again. And, you know, I, I, me too, it's going to happen. I, I like to think it wouldn't happen again, but it's, it's going to happen to me again. I have is right. scarring inside my um, digestive system. That means I will have this, you know, if for, if I'm lucky for a long time, because I'll be living a long time, but you know, so I won't be able to do anything about, so how do I approach it? How do I steal myself to, instead of just, Oh God, when will this end, <laughs> you know, like, and just be completely uh, disoriented. But as, as a writer, I'm also interested in exploring those feelings and, and figuring out mm -hmm. how I can write. So just even the fact that you were able to articulate it in the ways that you did really was empowering to me even and enriching to me. And yeah, so I guess I, I continue to write about that side of things. Uh, I continue to engage with some of the other things too. Like one of the things that happened to me when I was in the hospital um, during my health crisis is I was in ICU. I had a high fever. I had, um, I was on plenty of drugs, you know, <laughs> I was dying. And um, so I was having ICU psychosis, which means I was yep. experiencing, you know, uh, I was completely paranoid. I was delusional. But of yep. course, for me, it was all real. It was all real. And I think about people who go through this every day of their lives and how do they, you know, I, 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 I first of all, I, I would like to sort of, I just, because it's happened to me and, and that feeling of not knowing what's real and what not, what isn't real. And I just, I feel a lot of, um, 
I just want to know. I don't know what I, I just I, I feel like I have a connection to those people. And I, I, I you know, anyone who is, has that kind of experience to yeah. and anyone who has and, and even those who have other kinds of pain and uh, m- mental health issues, chronic pain, like I feel connected in ways that maybe I didn't before. And uh, so, yeah, I feel like I, I certainly as my reading has changed a lot in, in the, um, I certainly been reading a lot more um, um stuff from uh, from disabled writers for instance and being having my eyes open and completely blown away by how great some of that writing is like a lot of like have you do you know the collection stairs and whispers uh yeah uh, dis- i love that disabled poets right deaf and disabled poets right back that came out of nine, nine arches press i edited yep, by that's a great one I love that and, and beauty is a verb and then of course you know so I, I seek out these things and I find myself relating quite a lot to a lot of those now, obviously I can't relate to everything but the general tone and some of the feelings and, and sort of this way of trying to figure figure your way through pain and and, and and the other thing too is like when people are, are saying to you oh you were so brave like I hate that one right like I, it's yeah. like you don't yeah. have a choice you're just living right you're just living that's all you're doing and, and things come at you you like what or, or my other favorite one is um is uh, when i had my i had an ileostomy appliance for 14 months and plenty of people have colostomies ileostomy uh situations and and you know it can be a a real improvement in their lives because they were in terrible pain from various things before and and then people say if i had that i would kill myself you know i oh my god you know you just want to like it's so yeah there's all that inside me still to talk about and to write about and so yeah it's still it's still there um how to do it, I don't know, but it comes up. It comes up in a lot of my uh, a lot of childhood trauma stuff comes up in my writing more. I'd say right. in my fifties, especially, I've become even more candid and more more unwilling to put up with bullshit. So in myself and too, like I mean, I don't wanna I don't wanna hide about the things I've gone through or or make them into more than they are or whatever you know. But I just so yeah, I'm not done tackling those issues because they're still going on, right? They're still. Right happening and but I guess we we had a there was a when you and Sean edited Postscript to Darkness I guess the first one I had exactly of your piece from that yeah. yeah so yeah so that was an early attempt to try and write down these things and and get them sort of on paper but to every they're so unbelievable and comic and horrible like it's kind of a combination of great uh, a crazy like wild imagination and sort of really ridiculous comedy at the same time which is a nice combination to have if you're going to have if you're going to have the dark it's at least you have a dark sense of humor you know so that's and uh, that helps a lot I mean you know there's a lot of humor in this too there's there's plenty of humor in <laughs> yeah well like I you know I, I didn't want to present it as, as something that wasn't there are parts where I really laugh like I mean so yeah there's a lot well, so that's what? nice to hear. Yeah, I think sure. people usually focus, you know, on sure. when they want to discuss these things. They're like, you're a poet of pain. And I'm like, well, yes, but also, you know, I, I want to be a little jokey about certain things. I want to talk, you know, that like I'm in pain, but like things like sex can still be great. And, right. you know, to just, just to bring complexity, uh, I've, I've had a number of discussions around this, you know, where when you have either a, a disability or or some some kind of any kind of marginalization, people tend to think of you within the format of a character. 
Oh yeah, you become a, right. a model, right? You're you're like the, the like this, yeah. Well, you address that in in the book as well, right? You, exactly, yeah. And I think this this is, I think something that you know any anyone who has any kind of marginalization experiences, um, but I think it's particularly important to engage within those and 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 to question those and to, and to challenge those with quite a bit of certainty about that that you know you are not a character you are not just a broken person or thing you contain multitudes you know that's right yeah well the, i think the book does that very well actually i mean there's so much in there we we could have also talked about the uh the role of the monstrous in there too which is just i mean there's there's some um, the spiders there's a whole lot of i mean there's a whole other level we can we could talk about that there's lots i could keep going forever you know we could do that but instead we will we will uh, do a few other things like i will i will ask you do you have any readings scheduled at this point or any any talks or anything uh yeah i was lucky enough to have quite a few readings um not that long ago so i think the only one that i have scheduled now is uh River, uh, riverbed reading series they're in they're oh, in ottawa yeah. right yes yeah, so that's, that's uh two dear friends are uh, ellen chang richardson and uh nina jane dristic who yeah exactly series, and it's uh I, I have to say i haven't i still haven't attended any of them they they started and then the pandemic came right away so yeah i know all, all being on zoom and i just haven't had had the evening ability to be uh, to be up but so you're going to be uh, on. Yeah, so I'm reading there on August 18th at 7:30. Well, we'll make sure to put that up in the in the uh, in the show notes as well. Do you want to uh, read some something from the book? Sure, I'm happy to. All right. Um, I uh, yeah, I mean, I think I I could read just the opening poem if that yeah, works. That'd be for great. You. We talked about it, so that would be nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is. Let us for a moment call this pain by other words. Ask, how many roses does the hammer weigh when it bears down on your skull? Does the sword seem toothed like a toddler's smile or sharp as your first ice skates? On a scale of anglerfish to northern lights, how bright are the flashes in your head. When I touch this here, which constellations light the sky behind your eyes? Would you say that pulsing is the flicker of a satellite or the stubborn heartbeat of a newborn chick? Ask, can we for a moment make of beauty the measure of our pain? And I will answer. Beautiful. I love. I love that poem. It, it, it was such a great poem to open to the book with. Like that. That is, is wonderful. So what I what I um like to do now is just read my little note about uh, the book and the, and you will sit there and be, feel embarrassed because it'll be lots of praise. That's that's what I do. I also put these things up on Goodreads as well, so they're up there as well. And that, that'll be in the in the in the show notes. So oh, thank many, you. You're welcome. Dominic Parisian's side effects may include strangers is a necessary and insightful examination of pain and its troubled articulation in language. It counters conventional and ableist attitude towards the body with defiant strength and debunking of myths. 
I like to fuck in protest of this body from after convulsing in public is probably my favorite line from the book. And I repeat it like a mantra sometimes to get me through. The book is an inclusive, compassionate gathering of bodies in pain, queer bodies, bisexual bodies, and an empowering celebration of other bodies. That's what I like about you. Great book. <laughs> Thank you. That's so kind and so lovely. Well, it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful book, and of course, I I really like you. So, you know, combination <laughs> is worthwhile. No, I, I mean, I would write this even if I didn't already like you. I would write this about the book because the book is good. So that's it. It's um it's wonderful, and I look forward to the memoir and other things of yours that will be coming out in the future. So, uh, thanks for being here. I'm I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see more of your explorations on these subjects. I, I think you have a good perspective for it. And I'm, I'm always excited for that. And I always, you know, encourage people to do more of that because it is a very difficult and intimidating subject. Yeah, it's hard um, to get hold of. It's also hard to get publishers to publish it. I don't know, I find. But uh, so, you know, speak to is. your publisher pals and, you know, uh, tell them... Uh, I got some good manuscripts out there. No, just kidding. That's not the point of this. All right. Well, thanks so <laughs> much for being on the show, Dominic. And, and I look forward to uh, seeing you in person sometime in the not too distant future. I hope so for that as well. I'm very much looking forward to it. And uh, I'm very, very grateful that you have me here and for all of your questions. I think it's, I love your insight and I love your engagement with this and just in with poetry in general on, on this podcast. So it's, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. So stay tuned for future episodes of the podcast featuring Lisa Richter, Jennifer Mulligan, Christine Snodgrass, and Conchetta Principe. And thanks to Dominic for being on the show, to all of you for listening and sharing the episode. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine